0: John 3, beginning in verse 19, uh, this is God's word, eternally true. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly. That what he has done has been through God. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness printed for you in your bulletin and up here on the screen. The word of the Lord. Thanks, to God. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Sometimes you can be in a dispute with somebody and, and they can um, highbrow you. Um, you know, highbrowing you is when they kind of say, oh, you know, and they, they kind of lift their eyebrows and you're one of those. Or something like that, or uh, and and you know, you know, if someone highbrows you, they've run out of arguments. If they had arguments, if they had truth, they would present the truth, and so they're they're out of arguments, and so they've just said, well, you know, everyone knows that's wrong, you know, and and uh, resorts to something to something like that. But as believers, uh, we can often be made to feel inferior. Uh, to believers as if there were something that were simpletons or something like that oh you you believe in God you believe in that that fairy tale that we'll all go off and be happy forever in heaven after we die and uh, that's not based on a a searching of the scriptures or a a conclusion of the deep things of life Uh, but uh, that's what Jesus gets at here Um, that as we uh, uh, look at Um, our world and interact with people who don't believe, we don't have to feel inferior Uh, academically, uh, intellectually, in terms of knowing truth. We don't have to feel inferior because we're, in fact, not. This is a big issue for John's readers as he wrote this text as he's writing in about ad 90 it looks like to jewish christians as he goes through the gospel there are a number of things that show us that looks like he's talking to jewish people who have believed in jesus already and if you were a jewish person in ad 90 most of your friends and relatives didn't believe in jesus we know that from the the book of acts and from church history Uh, Most Jews didn't believe in Jesus. Most people haven't. Uh, But for Jewish Christians that John's writing to, they were especially susceptible to Jews claiming that they didn't understand the Scriptures. That they didn't understand the things of eternity. They didn't understand eternal truth. And that instead, Jews who hadn't become Christians understood things better. And that somehow Jews who had become Christians had gotten off track and didn't understand what was true and needed to come back into, into Judaism. And so John writes with this concern in mind and, and, and comments here in verses 19 through 21 about this very thing. In other words, what causes uh, disbelief. And as you see here in this title of this gospel lesson, it's something that's moral, not intellectual. Uh, that is, you should have confidence in your faith. You're not believing in something that is intellectually or in terms of truth inferior um, to your friends who haven't believed. So if you like to fill up blanks in an outline, you're welcome to do that as we go along. Um, God says to us, first of all, and you're number one there, don't feel inferior about your coming to Jesus. This is John's comment here about our faith and why people don't believe and why people do believe. And he wants us to know we have no reason to feel inferior. In fact, the opposite. We have to temper that instead. But don't feel inferior about your coming to Jesus. And when people, and it may be the case that there are people who are intellectually smarter than you, they have a uh, faster hard drive and faster and more RAM than you do. But here's, but here's the point. Even if that is so, your faith in Jesus does not need to make you feel inferior. Because in this point, your knowledge, your understanding is superior to theirs. So don't feel inferior about your coming to Jesus. Your a point there. God tells us here that disbelief and belief. Both disbelief and belief are not a matter of intellect. Disbelief and belief are not a matter of intellect. We see it here demonstrated in the Gospels and in the New Testament itself. One of the most intellectual people we have is Paul. Paul was intellectual among Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, rising up, the scriptures tell us, rising up within Judaism. He was young and he was smart and everybody was saying, this guy is sharp. But yet he goes into Athens, the center of Greek philosophy, and he argues with them publicly about the logic of Jesus. And so he was one, and and he's familiar, as he talks with with Greeks about their own culture and their philosophy and their own gods. And he he knows about their unknown gods. And he says, let me tell you about this God that you don't know. And so there are intellectually superior people in the New Testament who have believed. Uh, in Jesus' day, there are people like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. We see at the end of the gospel who have come to believe, even though, even though they're Pharisees, a very educated group of people who knew the law extremely well. That was their speciality, as they say it in, in Star Wars. Um, uh, but there were also people who weren't that smart. And that's the that's the uh, bulk of who Jesus is talking to in, in the Gospels. They were outcasts of society. They were not those who were educated. Look at Jesus' disciples. They're they're fishermen, right? You can fish when you're four, and that was their profession. They were doing something a four year old could do. Um. And that was one of the things that the Pharisees themselves remarked upon in the early chapters of Acts when Peter and John are talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees talk to themselves and say, aren't these uneducated men? And yet they talk with such wisdom and they don't, they're not afraid of us. Why is that? Well, Peter and John had truth content that the Pharisees didn't have. They understood the most important thing, but they understood something that these educated intellectual men didn't understand who were standing before him among the the Jewish ruling council. But disbelief and belief are not a matter of intellect despite, and here's our day too, despite the usual assertions by unbelievers that their disbelief is based on that. You've probably heard it, people who say they don't believe. Well, I don't believe in fantasies. Yeah, you know that's not a well you know it's not as common now because things have changed but if you're a little bit older like me well well science can't prove that right people used to think science solved everything right and so we are made to feel intellectually inferior because science can't prove that god exists or that god is a al- that jesus is alive you know we can't look in a telescope and see him in a cloud somewhere um But uh, uh, yeah, disbelief and and, and belief uh, are often and disbelief is often presented to us as a matter of I'm too intellectual for that. Right. But God tells us that's not so. Um, What we see here in this text is that the unbeliever is not is not believing, is not coming to the light, not because the Christian message is untrue but because he has a moral problem. That is, he hasn't looked at the facts and become unsatisfied that the facts aren't there. He's got a moral issue that undergirds itself or that that undergirds his disbelief. But he doesn't like saying, I'm an immoral person, so I haven't believed. So instead, he dresses it, gives it window dressing and says, I have an intellectual issue with Christianity. Therefore, I haven't believed. But Jesus cuts through this. John cuts through this for us and says, that's a bunch of bull. What causes people not to come to the light, it's not an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue instead, despite what they say. So number one there, 1A1. Those to whom God has caused to be born of the spirit understand the light that is, they understand Jesus' significance to each individual. Okay, so they God causes them to be born again. That's John 1, 13. Uh just above here in John three three, uh, Jesus explains to Nicodemus the reason you don't see or understand the kingdom of God, the reason you have you you have confused faith about me, and you're you're conflicted inside, you, you're you're doing things and saying things that are wondrous, but I, I don't get it. And Jesus says the reason for that is because you haven't been born again. You need to be born again before you understand these things, before you can see it, before you can get it. And that being born again is not something that, that you can see or an event that you can cause. First uh, uh, Peter 1, 2 says, you know, that God has caused us to be born again. Or John one thirteen says that our birth is not uh, by human will but our birth is by God's will, God's decision. Um, And so, uh, but once one comes to be born of the spirit, um, he comes to understand, he comes to understand uh, the light. So verse 21 here in this passage, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has been done has been done uh, through God. so John spoke of this lack of understanding in chapter 1, verse 5. Just look back there. It'll cost you a page. <laughs> there, looking back to, to John 1, verse 5. He describes Jesus coming into the world as light, Jesus, coming into the darkness. And what does he say about those who are in the darkness, those who live in darkness? Verse 5, there, chapter 1. The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness. Jesus was not doing things in secret. He was doing things publicly. He was teaching publicly. He was doing miracles publicly. The light was shining in the darkness. Going on in that verse, but the darkness has not understood it. And this is a huge theme. It's something that John goes over and over again explaining in the Gospel of John. Why haven't people believed? It's because they're in darkness and darkness does not understand the light. Darkness doesn't understand the light. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a moral thing. And there's a misunderstanding. There's a a lack of understanding. And so uh, your second line there under one, the light came into the world in 6 BC. It's probably the date of Jesus' birth. Um, And to about AD 30, probably the date of Jesus' crucifixion. So the light was in the world for that period of time. Um, But the darkness has not understood it. Um, Or to put in your outline there, the world did not understand it. Okay, so the light was in the world for that period of time. Jesus ministered for three to four years, but the world didn't understand the light. They had to be born again in order to understand it. So if if someone's not born again and says, I have an intellectual argument, they don't understand something. They can't understand something because they haven't been born again. Their eyes haven't been opened And so it's a smart person who's blind who doesn't know a deer is in his backyard. We're not disputing that they're smart in other things, but we are saying, well, no, you're you're blind. And you're in darkness. And so you can't see the, the deer who's in your backyard that I can see because my eyes have been opened. And so you are disagreeing with the truth, even though you may be smart in other things. Because you have a disability uh, of being able to see. And number two there, an unbeliever doesn't understand Jesus and the gospel. An unbeliever doesn't understand Jesus and the gospel. So the unbeliever's accusation of believers being anti-intellectual, an unbeliever's accusation that you are anti-intellectual is the opposite of what's true. You believe what's true and they're arguing against it. That's not intellectual to argue against something that's true. So they don't understand, not you. So it's a little bit Pee-wee Herman there. I know you are, but what am I? Like we used to say when we were kids. But it it really is true. It's It's not that I don't understand something. It's that you don't understand something. I understand something, not to my own merit, but because my eyes have been opened. I'm seeing something that you're not seeing and you are arguing in ignorance. And that's not a very intellectual thing to do. Now, B, B, so one B. Beyond this, this point that unbelieving, uh, the unbelieving mind lacks understanding, disbelieving is, on the part of the unbeliever, a moral decision. Disbelieving, on the part of the unbeliever, is a moral decision, not an intellectual decision. A moral decision has been made. And this is what is communicated to us in verses 19 and 20. A moral decision has been made. And therefore, there's disbelief. Number one there, B1. Because unbelievers' deeds are evil. Because unbelievers' deeds are evil, they fear and hate the light. Jesus' words. This is not us as Christians being mean. This is Jesus' words. Jesus said, love, who, Jesus who said, love your neighbor. Jesus who said, uh, uh, treat others the way you would want to be treated. He says, but here's what's true about those who don't believe. They hate me. Uh, we saw this in John 15 as well. Right? Unbelievers hate Jesus despite what they attest to. They may say, oh, no, I like Jesus. No, they don't. If they'd like Jesus, they'd come to him. If they like, like Jesus, they would live their lives for him. If they liked Jesus, they would die, if necessary, for him. But Jesus says they hate the light. Uh, we, can, we can see it there. Um, verse 19, here's the verdict. In other words, I'm telling you the truth. I'm the final judge, and I'll give you a little bit of my judgment ahead of time. <laughs> here's what you're going to hear, final judgment. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And that's personal. The light is Jesus. He's the light, John 1, who came into the world, and they hate him. Like uh, Gru, right? With, uh, what's this, with, with Vector. I hate that guy. It's uh, in uh, despicable Me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they hate the light. They hate Jesus. Despite all the window dressing, despite all the polite talk about Jesus, if someone hasn't believed Jesus, they hate him. This is what Jesus says. Not what I say. Not what some mean group of Christians say. This is what says. This is what Jesus says. Unbelievers hate Jesus. The light. So, verse nineteen there, uh, John five twenty three. Let me remind you of what Jim read for us in John fifteen twenty three. John fifteen twenty three. He who hates me, hates my father as well. Jesus says, "If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen the, these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father." And this is big in John. John gets to this in one John as well. Don't give me any of this stuff, he says to his own contemporary unbelieving Jews. Don't give me any of this stuff about how you love the Father, but don't follow Jesus. John says in 1 John, he who does not have the Son does not have the Father as well. And that's what Jesus is declaring here. If someone hates me, they hate my Father too. My father loves me. My father sent me to you. I and the father are one. These are all things he says in, in, the, gospel, in the gospel of John. Uh, so, he, uh, uh, But now they've seen my miracles and yet they hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. This is what David says when the people reject him as king in the Psalms. They hated me without reason. What have I done to them but good? I've won, they've won every battle since I've been in charge of the troops, since I've been king. We conquered Jerusalem. We have a capital city. We've got the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant in the, in the capital city. All kinds of good things have happened to us and they've rejected me for Absalom? They hated me without reason. I haven't done bad to them. And this is what Jesus is saying. Have I done bad miracles to them? Have I caused healthy people to get sick? Have I caused people who see to be physically blind? Have I caused physically deaf people to, or physically hearing people to be deaf? No, I've only done good. And so their hatred for me is without reason. And that's true for us today. What is Jesus doing to anybody? We read in, this, in, in Colossians, he's holding them together. Colossians 1, 17 and 18. What what is he doing to them? Hebrews 1. He's holding them together. All things are being held together by the word of his power. They owe his existence. They owe the ability to stay together. They owe their not exploding in entropy to him. He is sovereign God holding them together. He is filling their bellies full of food and giving them joy in their hearts, as Paul says in Acts 14 in Lystra. And he offers to them eternal bliss. He offers to them a way of life that will give them joy in their souls. And they hate him without reason. Because they don't understand. They're in darkness. And darkness does not understand the light. Darkness hates the light. Now number two. Number two. Um, We'll talk about how to handle that that your unbelieving friends hate Jesus. We'll talk about how to handle that in a minute. So if you're worried about that, don't be worried. We'll get to it. Uh, Number two, because unbelievers have a record of evil deeds, they do not want to come to the light. John gets at this here in this passage too. An unbeliever has a record of evil deeds, and those evil deeds are still on him or on her. They haven't, like for the believer, been placed upon Jesus' body on the cross. First Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins, believer sins, in his body on the cross. And so our sins have had the wrath of God poured out upon them already. Justice has been done, and it would be unjust for God to pour out any more wrath or give out any more punishment against any sin we'll ever do because all those sins were in Jesus' body on the cross. God is just, and we say, great. <laughs> Justice for my sins has been fulfilled by what Jesus did on the cross. But if you're an unbeliever, you don't know the gospel, and so you have no solution, and your sins are still on yourself. And as Paul says, we're storing up wrath for ourselves if we're unbelievers. Because we're just adding sins to ourselves day by day that have not been placed upon Jesus' body on the cross if we're an unbeliever. But they're just, we're stacking them upon ourselves. The longer we live as an unbeliever, the more wrath we're earning for ourselves at final judgment and into the lake of fire. Uh, and so there's this, there's this record of sins that an unbeliever has. And if you're in the midst of sin hiding in a corner, you know, do burglars, do they they rob in the light when there's a crowd around? See, and that's final judgment. That's Revelation 20. Okay, there's a crowd around. Every person who's ever lived is around. And you're in front of the light, Jesus, sitting on his great white throne there. And books are opened with all your sins listed on there. And each person is judged according to what he had done. Fair judgment according to, and it's recorded in the books. It wasn't like God is misremembering. (laughs) He remembers rightly, but there's also written proof, a journal being kept in heaven of every sin that's been committed and who did it. Uh, And so unbelievers have a record of evil deeds, number two, and they do not want to come to the light They don't want to, in other words, come to the all-knowing and just judge of all. If you're in the midst of sin, if you're robbing something, if you're doing something you shouldn't do, you don't want the lights turned on, you don't want your boss to see, or your spouse to see, or your kid to see, or whoever it is that that you'd be embarrassed in front of to see you doing what you're doing. And we're often glad that that, uh, people can't see what we're thinking when we see someone oh no him (laughs) we're glad for that it gives us a moment to collect ourselves and to say i'm to love that person and so instead we say okay hey pete how you doing and we're actually nice and we mean it because we're following jesus we've overcome our sin nature uh, our natural reaction to that person that we saw and didn't want to be around but But non-believers have this record of sins. And so they don't want to come into the light. And and, and so they they stay away. And that's what Jesus is explaining here. Uh, Verse 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Um, Or verse 19, the second half. Men love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Uh, On in verse 20. Sorry, I'm jumping around. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Okay, so it's moral. Why haven't you come to Jesus? Because you're carrying your own sins and you don't want your sins to be exposed before the all-knowing God who is light himself, whose light will shine upon your evil deeds. And while you've spent a life with everybody saying, he's a, you know, she's a great gal. He's a great guy. No longer if you're in front of the light because everything gets cut through it's I tell you the truth or here's the verdict you're before him the judge of all who sees all things um, so a here to expand on this um, Jesus knows even the secrets of unbelievers hearts and he knows all their deeds so he knows the secrets of their hearts that's Luke 12 2 and 3 um, he knows all their deeds um, as Revelation 22 books recording all the deeds that have been done. He knows all their deeds, um, all their secrets. Um, So Jesus is a threat. That's your blank. So Jesus is a threat to the person who doesn't know the gospel because they have this sense in them. Romans 2, judgment is coming and I'm a sinner. My conscience bears witness against me each day that there's a final judgment coming and I'm not going to do well. And so Jesus, the final judge, is the threat. If you're committing a crime, the police is the threat, right? You don't want to come into the presence of the police when you're committing a crime. And, and, and it's in parallel with that. Um, he knows the secrets uh, uh, of their hearts. So Romans 2.16 says, There is a day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. That's Romans 2.16. There is a day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. Luke 12:2 and 3 There's nothing concealed Jesus says that will not be disclosed. Nothing. There's nothing concealed currently that nobody knows about. Sins that nobody knows about. Things that you've done that you'd be ashamed if other people found out. Nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear or in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the roofs. And then B, so Jesus knows the secrets of of men and women's hearts. And then B, he is just and will bring justice to all wrongdoing. So he is a threat to them. Again, verse verse 20. um, Everyone who does does evil hates the light. He will not come into the light for fear that his deeds... Will be exposed. Uh, Revelation twenty twelve and thirteen. What are people judged upon? Each person is judged according to what he had done. There's a repeating of that to make sure that in verses twelve and thirteen of Revelation twenty. It's a fair judgment. It's not a blanket judgment on everyone. Each person is judged according to what he has to what he has done. So there's a justice, a perfect justice that's part of the character of God. Um, That comes upon people. And this is why Jesus is a threat to people. So number three. Number three. Disbelief arises from a self-admission of moral deficiency. This is what Jesus is telling us. This is what John is telling us in verses 19 and 20. Disbelief arises from a self-admission of moral deficiency. If you look at verses 19 and 20, here's what you get. If you were morally sufficient, you would come into the light because you had nothing to be ashamed of. So the fact that you haven't come to the light is an admission that you're morally deficient. That you won't survive the scrutiny of the light of Jesus. And so anyone who hasn't come to Jesus is is admitting that they deserve judgment. That's why they're not coming into the light. It's kind of like I was on the student hearing board we used to see uh, when I was in college. Uh, we used to see people who had um, done bad things typically in the dorms, and it rose kind of above the level of an RA. And so they would appear before this this panel of like eight eight or 10 students uh, accompanied by the dean of students. And we'd hear these cases that typically RA, residence advisors in the dorms had brought uh, to us. and and the residence advisor could bring witnesses and the person accused could bring witnesses. And we just asked people, but there was one thing we learned, please don't use this evilly. One thing I learned uh, that was very important uh, as I was on the student hearing board, when somebody says, you can't prove it, we said, thank you. (laughs) You just admitted you were guilty, but that you think we can't find enough evidence. But the fact was we were a hearing board All we had to do was give our opinion of whether this person was guilty or not. It wasn't like the court of law where somebody could get off on a technicality or that there was uh, some crazy evidence or that kind of thing. You could just see, but the innocent people would come before us and you knew they were innocent because they would essentially say, ask anybody. And they would bring these people they didn't even know who were in their dorm hallway and say, this person saw me. And I was in my room, and this person saw me. And I was in my room, and this person I talked to at this time. And I know that I talked to him at this time because this TV show was on. And this person, all these witnesses would come forward. They were not af- innocent people; are not afraid of witnesses and of the truth coming out. Uh, but il- guilty people are, are say, "Well, who'd you hear that from?" <laughs> right? They're interested in concealing the truth. But, but in the same parallel way. This is, this is the issue that when someone doesn't come to Jesus, they're, they're showing that they're, they've done evil deeds. And, and so they don't, want to come, they don't want to come into the light. Um, so that's your bracket there uh, in your outline. If one believes he is morally sufficient and worthy, and worthy at the level of God's standard, he will come into the light. You now just imagine, none of us, this is the case, but imagine if we had never sinned. We wouldn't worry about anyone seeing anything we ever did. And we wouldn't worry about anyone even seeing into our thoughts. Yeah, examine me. You know, it's like Jesus can say when he's in Jerusalem in the last week. I've done nothing in private. He says, I've done everything publicly. So ask them. He says it at his trial too. He says, ask anybody. He knows if anyone speaks the truth, it's going to exonerate him. So he's not scared. Now he knows what he's going, they're going to do. They're going to lie and conflict in their testimony and all that kind of thing. And he'd come to die anyway, so that was okay with him. But if one believes he's morally sufficient and worthy at the level of God's standard, he will come into the light. And this is what Jesus gets at in verse 21. Look at verse 21 there. But whoever lives by the truth, now this is not talking about an unbeliever coming to Jesus. Um, we'll talk about that in just a second here. But this is a believer. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, right? Like John in 1 John 1. We have fellowship with Jesus. The blood of Jesus has covered our sins. And so we have fellowship with him. We have fellowship with other believers. But he says, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may, it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done through God. But toward the unbeliever, what is being said here is that, you know, if you were innocent, you would come to Jesus. But the reason you haven't come to Jesus is because is because you're not. Um, so a person doesn't come to uh, come to the light because he knows that any morality he has is only a morality that stands up next to the person who's the next worst one than he. Right? It's a comparative morality. Well, I'm better than him. Yeah, you know, it's the Pharisee in Luke nineteen. God, I thank you that you've not made me like this tax collector. I tithe you know I I pray to three well how many times a day does he pray three I pray twice a day what three times a day I pray three times a day and I tithe my mint dill and cumin I' even tithe my kitchen spices that's what he's saying uh, and so there's there's this pride but it's a relative pride because he finds somebody who's the the the, the more the biggest moral schmuck he can find a tax collector somebody who's, who's traded his his loyalties to Rome and is working for the Roman government, and he says, "I'm better than him." So, um, but it's only a relative morality. It's not a morality in before God, and God is the light, and so they don't come to the light because their morality doesn't reach up to that that muster. See, see, disbelief then is a decision of fear. This belief is a decision of fear that one has toward God because of moral deficiency, of moral deficiency before God. It's not a decision of one's correct intellectual understanding. Okay? It's, a, it's suppressing the truth. It's not dealing with the truth. And so there's fear about death we, we see in Romans, or we see in Hebrews uh, 2, uh, 15. Um, We all all people fear death unless they come to Jesus, because with death, it's destined for, you know, for all uh, for all men to die once and then to face and then to face judgment. So there's a fear here. And that's why people haven't come to the light. You see that word fear in verse 20. Someone will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. They're not they're not not coming to the light, sorry for that double negative there, they're, the reason they're not coming to the light is it, not intellectual. It's, it's because they know they have a moral deficiency and they fear the judgment that rightly will come to them for it. Uh, so D, D, here's our little side bit on uh, verse 21. Note, Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not saying that Christians are those who came to him because their deeds were good. So you and I and anyone who's come to faith in Jesus uh, didn't come to Jesus because we said, you know what, I'm perfectly good. I have nothing to worry about and I'm going to get in Jesus' presence right now. And he's going to say, great, you know, you haven't done anything bad. I'm glad you're hanging around. Um, That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what John is saying here. uh, we haven't come to Jesus to receive pats in the back. Rather, uh, he is saying that Christians have been born of God. Um, Christians have been born of God. So we have that 113.33558. Um, we come into the light because God has given us spiritual birth, um, He's brought us into the light. Look at your call to worship and declaration of the gospel on the front, very top front of the front page. The reason this is our declaration of the gospel is because it puts the gospel in terms of light. See what it says here about light: um, "Joyfully give thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is the light; he's the light of the world. His kingdom is the kingdom of light." And then it goes on: "For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. See, we were men of darkness." who had evil deeds, who hated the light and feared that our evil deeds would be exposed. But we didn't come because our deeds were good. We were rescued from the dominion of darkness. That was his work. And that's what Jesus is referring to in verse 21, or John is referring to in verse 21, when he says, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. God gave you spiritual birth. He gave you your spirit. Therefore, you're doing Good deeds now and you're in fellowship with Jesus and you're in fellowship with his people because he rescued you from the darkness you were in when you were hating him and he brought he brought you into the kingdom of the son he loves see so you see there verse 21 is not talking about a person in an unregenerate or unbelieving state coming into the kingdom it's not his power He's, we, we didn't come into the kingdom of light, we were brought, we were carried, we were rescued and brought uh, brought into the kingdom of the Son, He loves, the kingdom of light, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And this is why we're comfortable in the kingdom of light, because we've been redeemed, we've been brought, bought out, bought out of the kingdom of darkness, and our sins have been forgiven. And so we're comfortable in the presence of Jesus because our sins have been placed upon him 2000 years ago. OK, so uh, he's saying that Christians having been born of God, a few things. Number one. So D1, we have begun to live by the truth that describes us. We're people who are living by the truth. We're not doing it perfectly, but that's our goal. If someone asks you, "What are you living by?" Are you living by the truth, or are you living by falsehood, biblically defined? You'd say, "Well, I'm living by the truth. Sometimes I fall and do, you know, do some things out of falsehood, but my guide for life is truth. I'm living by the truth, uh, which Jesus refers to in verse 21. And number two, you have understood uh, that your past and future evil deeds have been forgiven, have been forgiven, and will not be condemned." Because you have come to or believed in the Son, so we go back to verses sixteen and seventeen. Look there, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish. So we're people who know I can be in the light and not perish. It's not like one of those Old Testament prophets who gets a vision of God and says, "I am undone," like Isaiah says in Isaiah six. We don't have that response because our sins have been removed from us. We know we won't perish as we come to be in the presence of God. And then verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So we know we're people as believers who not, who will not be condemned. Or chapter five, verse 21, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word, hears, been given life, spiritual hearing whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned so that's why we're in the light that's why we come to the light constantly that's why when we sin we confess our sins we we come you know back into the light of jesus and say jesus i've done this and what we're comfortable with doing that with confessing our sins with being in the light because we know our confession of sin won't be met with condemnation because Jesus came into the world to save us, and he's done that for us. Um, Number three, number three, thus they or we live in the light, not denying Jesus' awareness of all our thoughts, of all our words and all our deeds. We know, he knows everything I'm thinking, he knows everything I've done, he knows why I've done it, Um, he knows what I've said and why I have said it. and we're comfortable with that because all the bad things we've done, he has forgiven. But Paul describes us in Ephesians 5, 8, as those who walk in light. Unlike the world we're those who walk in light. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And uh, in addition to this, we do, here's your next blank. We do not fear coming before him. We don't fear coming before him. At death and final judgment. Hebrews 2, 14, and 15, that says, All men live in the slavery of fear of death. All their lives. non-believers, are in this slavery of fearing death. Always worried, what if this happens and I die? And we don't have we don't have that fear. We're not afraid of facing the light when we die, of facing the light when He comes, when He comes again. And so all of this now understanding that everything we've said so far um, that non-believers hate jesus they hate the light they don't come into the light and it's a moral decision despite what they say intellectual belief or or cultural whatever well that's not the way i grew up i grew up buddhist whatever it's really it's really a thing they are afraid, you know, that's why Buddhism is comforting. It's not, a, it's not a thing of righteousness. It's like, you're okay, just get the balance right. You'll have some evil, you'll have some good. And they say, good, that sounds like me, I'm a mix. Um, but, but understanding all this, that the, the non-believers around you hate the one you love, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? So number two, first of all, be prepared for unbelief. That was certainly John's message as he wrote this book. Um, Jewish believers, my my comrades, John was Jewish. He believed in Jesus. Uh, Jewish believers, just be prepared for unbelief. Among those who should believe, who know the Old Testament scriptures that are all pointing to Jesus, still expect expect unbelief. Um, And be prepared for unbelief being the normal response to God by the religious and by the unreligious. Be prepared for unbelief being the normal response to God. Don't be surprised or offended. Uh, be understanding of people as they reject the truth. Um, most don't have ears to hear, okay? So don't talk to a deaf person and be mad when they don't turn towards you and respond, okay? Or don't talk to a blind or a blind and deaf person. That's even worse if you're mad to that at that person. Have compassion. When you share the gospel with a spiritually deaf person, they don't hear it. They hear the words, but they don't understand them. So don't be mad. Don't be mad. Be compassionate. Be patient and say, I was once there. You were. None of you were born again when you were born physically. Okay? You all came to a place. I came to a place when we finally believed. And, and you know, hopefully none of us had people being mad at us before we believed, and you know, that drives us away, right? It's the kindness, the tolerance, the patience of God that brings us to repentance, Romans 2.4. So be, be prepared for unbelief is the normal uh, response. Um, respect that um, because, or expect that because most people don't have ears to hear. Number three, number three, be compassionate. Be compassionate toward unbelievers, not judgmental. Jesus has just got through teaching us through this conversation with Nicodemus um, that John recorded that the reason someone doesn't understand is they, have, they don't have... The Spirit of God has not blown upon him. So it's, it's God's fault, not theirs. Um, that if they had the Spirit of God blow upon them, they would believe. And the only reason you believed is that you had the Spirit of God blow upon you. And so be gracious with the people around you who haven't believed toward unbelievers. And don't, don't, be, don't be judgmental. Remember that you came to faith not by your own doing. You were brought into the kingdom of light. You were rescued out of the kingdom of darkness. And that was something God did, not that you did yourself. So this person you're looking at, that you're talking to, who's not a believer, they don't have the power to come into the kingdom of light. They need to be brought into the kingdom of light. Uh, by Jesus, by the work of His, by the work of His Spirit. Um, remember that you were uh, uh, dead in your transgressions and sins. That's Ephesians two four. But you, when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, God made you alive. Okay, and remember, you were once, once there. Um, Jim read for us this morning how Jesus, when He looked out on the crowds. They were uh, hapless. They were helpless, um, distressed like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he had compassion upon them. And so that's the Christian viewpoint. We want to be like Jesus. We're going to have compassion on those who are helpless and and lost like sheep. And that's like unbelievers. Um, they're, They're lost. They're talking about things that don't matter. And they're concerned about going to things that don't matter and concerned about different uh, hobbies and stuff that just don't matter. And, you know, sometimes I really have to, to pull back when I'm talking with a group of non-believers because they start talking about stuff that just doesn't matter. And I, I'm thinking in my head, this is so stupid, you guys. Don't you have anything better to talk about? <laughs> and, and I have to pull back and have compassion and say, wow, this kind of stupid, boring stuff is the stuff I'd be talking about if I didn't know Jesus and that caused me to be compassionate and say, you know what? And I'm, you know, younger than these people are, right? whatever, you know, and, 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 uh, God has been gracious to me. So be gracious with the people around you. Be compassionate like Jesus was compassionate and like Jesus commanded us in Matthew seven, seven, judge, not judge, not, uh, you're not the judge and it's not time for judgment either. So don't judge the people around you. Um, let them be. You're not their judge. Um, number four. Number four. Out of the compassion of Jesus, out of the compassion of Jesus, uh, beyond this compassion, uh, seek their salvation. Seek the salvation of the unbelievers around you. Um, verses sixteen and seventeen. This was Jesus' purpose. The whole reason he came into the world is that he might save some, and not leave the entire world to perish. He came and inconvenienced himself. Came from heaven. Uh, to endure mocking and shame and death and being despised and, and derided he endured all that to save some and so we want to line up with his purposes to save some um john 20 verses 30 and 31 this was john's purpose in writing the gospel he says i haven't recorded everything jesus did and said and i haven't recorded all his miracles he says there in John 20, you know, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of, the, of his disciples that are, not, that are not recorded in this book. But these I have written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Hear that, he's talking to Jews. Take him as your king. Take him as your anointed one. Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Uh, that, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, and so this is John's purpose. That people would believe in Jesus and have life in his name. Um, All John is doing here is explaining why they don't believe and what needs to happen. They need to have God's spirit blow upon them um, so that they can believe. But our desire is that they would believe and we don't stand to them in a, a, a posture of condemnation. So here's what we can do. Ways to do this. Ways to do this. Um, Luke 19.10 there just talks about Jesus as well. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. But ways to do this, ways to seek the salvation of unbelievers around you. One is pray for them. Pray for them. Matthew 5.44, Jesus says, um, don't be enemies to your enemies. He says, "But, but love those who hate you and pray for those who persecute you. So even if you're unbelieving person uh, th- that you're supposed to seek their salvation is persecuting you, pray for them. Pray that they might come to faith and that that persecution they've rendered on you might be something that we find out was forgiven in Jesus on the cross. So pray for them, uh, even if they're persecuting you. Be, be good to them. Be good to them. This is a means God uses to bring people to faith to cause them to pay attention to the gospel Uh, it's something he uses in the process so matthew 5 16 in the sermon on the mount jesus says this he's just gotten out of the beatitudes and he says this in the same way let your light okay so i'm the light of the world and i've placed my spirit in you so now you're the light of the world and he says in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, there are a number of ways we can take that, but we see from other places in Scripture that that's talking about that they will ultimately come to praise Jesus through coming to be saved. Um, And we'll we'll look at a couple of those verses here. But in the same way, let your light shine before men. Now, this is not showing off like the Pharisees, but it's doing good to others. That's letting your light uh, up above there in verses 12, 13, 14, he said that, Letting your light shine is doing good deeds for others. Um, but do good deeds. Uh, uh, let your light shine before men uh, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Titus 2 9 uh, says to, to servants, or for us today, those who are employees, who have a boss or a manager over them, or someone who's employing them. Here's what t- Paul says to Titus Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please their masters not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they, the slaves, will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Again, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but in case you weren't here or you're listening online and didn't hear it before, the slaves Paul was referring to was people who came into contract with somebody who hired them on to be their servant for two years or three years or eight years or something like that, kind of like an NFL or major league baseball contract. You sign a contract to play for a team for a certain number of years for a certain amount of money. And that's what being a slave was in Paul's world. And that's what he's speaking to. Uh, And and just in case you want to be sure of that, you can see that Paul in 1 Timothy 1 uh, 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 condemns slave traders with murderers and adulterers. Okay, so it, it wasn't you know, the kind of slavery we had in the United States in, in our early days that he's talking about here. But those who'd come in contract with a boss and signed a paper that said, I will serve you for this number of years for food and this house and this amount of money. And here's the way I can buy my way out of my contract, too. I can buy my way out for this amount of money. Um, so that was all set. But he says, if you're in that situation... Be a great slave, be a great servant of your boss. So why? So the teaching about God, our Savior, might be attractive. So that your unbelieving boss might say, you know what? My three best workers are all born-again Christians. You know, that would speak to an unbelieving boss, wouldn't it? The, the ones who treat my, the, their students the best and have most compassion for them. Those are my teachers who are church people. They're, they're, they're Christians. Um, and so that's, we, so that's another way we can seek the salvation of the people around us, being good to the people, doing things for them, treating them the way we would want to be treated. We see this as well, First Peter 2.12. Um, he says, live such good lives among the pagans. Paul says to the Christians he's writing to in Turkey. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong with ignorance... They may see your good deeds. That is, become better better informed. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. That is, do good deeds to those who are accusing you of wrongdoing. Just keep doing good so that eventually they'll say, you know what? My accusations have been wrong. And, And this Christian guy that I've been accusing of being a wrongdoer, he's actually doing good for everybody. And then... That caused me to listen to the gospel and I'll be joined in with those people who, when Jesus appears at final to do final judgment, um, I'll be the ones rejoicing because I've longed for his appearing because I've become a believer through the good deeds of this person I once accused of wrongdoing. Uh, so again, First Peter two twelve, live such good deeds among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then last one to see this principle stamped out over and over again. Uh, Peter tells unbel- or believing wives who have unbelieving husbands, here's how you are to act. First Peter 3, 1, wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Okay, so that's a way we can seek the salvation of those around us, doing good for people. And a lot of times it's doing good for people who aren't being very nice to us. It's not seeking revenge. It's not treating people the way we've been treated. It's treating people the way Jesus has treated us. When we were evil, when we were in darkness, he gave us light and he gave us life and that we could believe and be in his kingdom of light. So he showed us goodness when we were evil toward him. And we want to be the same in view of or to the end that someone to, in the seeking of their salvation. See another way you can seek someone's salvation. Speak of Jesus to them. Um, and don't worry about what you're going to say. Just blah. Just get it out there. We've talked about that a lot. Just say something. Even if you say something that just indicates you're a believer, then your good deeds can get translated right. He's doing good deeds because he's a follower of Jesus. She's a follower of Jesus. So that makes sense to me. Then they start watching your life because you've said, you've spoken about Jesus to this person. So speak of Jesus to them and rest in the fact that he, Jesus, by his spirit, he, Jesus, by his spirit, is the source of their seeing, understanding, and believing. So don't carry that burden with you when you speak to somebody about Jesus. Just speak and, and know that your, your words mean nothing. It's just against a, a brick wall unless Jesus sends His Spirit to blow upon a person, which He can very well do. Okay, so just speak about Jesus and you don't have to convert the person. Okay, and so sometimes I get tied up and am I going to say the right thing about Jesus and just the right thing that's going to make them have their aha moment and come to Jesus and say glory, glory there. Uh, uh, but, but we don't have to worry about that. We just speak um, knowing that Jesus is the spirit. Uh, Jesus by his spirit is the source of their seeing, understanding and believing. So in other words, in parentheses, you, are you right in there? I, I am not the source of anybody believing. I'm just the means God can use. God can use my good deeds. God can use my words about, about Jesus. God can use my prayers. It's just means. But I'm not the source. I'm not the power of them coming to faith. I just speak of Jesus to them. So we saw this in John 1. Um, John the Baptist says to his disciples, John and Andrew. John is writing this book. was a disciple of John the Baptist. He says to them, Behold the Lamb of God. And they follow, and they follow, and they follow Jesus. And then right, right that's John one thirty six and 37, John and Andrew. And then verse 39, what, what happens there? They go up to Jesus, and Jesus invites them. So, yeah, come. Um, and then uh, uh, going on there, um, uh, verse, verses 40, verse 41, Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon, Peter. And speaks to Peter about Jesus. Verses 45 through 47. Philip goes and speaks about Jesus to his friend Nathaniel. Um, and so we just speak to people about Jesus. Andrew wasn't all tied up about whether Simon would believe or not. Ha, ha, ha. We read now with our eyes and we say, of course, Simon's going to follow. Andrew didn't know that. Um, Philip didn't know Nathaniel was going to follow. Um. So speak to people about Jesus. D, invite them. Invite them to come and see Jesus at the church. Uh, it's okay to invite people to church. Have them come and see. Have them witness you know, the, the Christian community and how people treat each other. Have them be here and hear of uh, Jesus getting taught and, 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 and preached in a way that's, that's more than just a bumper sticker level or something quick that you can say to your friend as you're talking with them. Okay, so so speak and invite them D invite them to come and see Jesus at the church. And again, this is what is being done in John chapter one. And the sermon about two months ago was about this. John 133 through 35. Uh, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist invites his disciples to go and see. He doesn't say, hey, wait, come back here. You were following me. No, he, he invites them. Go behold the Lamb of God. This is the one I came for. That's what he had just finished saying. This is the whole reason I came, that people would follow him, to prepare a way for people to get connected with him. And so his own disciples, he says, go and follow. Later in John 3, we'll see, you know, when his disciples come up to John the Baptist and say, hey, Jesus' disciples are baptizing more than we are. John the Baptist says, great. That's why I came. Uh, but, but it's come and see. Andrew invites Peter, come, he says to Peter. Come, see Jesus. And then Peter does the same thing in verse 46 of chapter 1. Peter invites uh, Nathanael and he says, come and see. Nathanael says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Come and see. And so we do that with our neighbors, with our friends, with our relatives. Hey, come and see. We're not going to force you. You know, we're not going to reach our arm down in your in your belly where your soul is and and rip it out and put a new one. You know, we're not going to do anything like that to you. Just come and see. Just come and see. No threat. Uh, And then E, E, pray for and support laborers. Pray for and support laborers going out into the harvest field of the world to sow, to share the gospel. Uh, And so Jim read this for us as well in Matthew nine. Uh, Jesus says that he says to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field so that's a way that you can seek the salvation of other people you know and and so you know you you send you you know somebody's going off to college somewhere and you say God, you know, bring someone, you know, an RUF across their path or someone from campus crew across their path or, or cause them to have a, a, a roommate who's a believer um, who can share the gospel with them. That's praying for laborers. That's a way that you can be a part of somebody coming to faith. You praying for a laborer who will sow the gospel, share the gospel uh, with unbelievers uh, there. Uh, Most likely, um, Emily Workman will be going doing an internship with RUF for two years. And so she's going to need support. And so that's a great thing. Um, Give what you give to the church and then say, can I spare some more and give to this girl? She's okay. No, but she's a laborer, you know, going to the harvest field and pray this comes about. And that, you know, RUF says yes. And she gets a good placement. And then she's going she's to need funds. And so we pray for and support those who are going out in the harvest field because uh, there are people out there who are elect who haven't believed yet. And so we pray for laborers that they might find these people and in their preaching the gospel, then God can work by his spirit, blow upon them and give them spiritual life. So that's it. So our summary. summary. Uh, coming to believing in Jesus um, or not coming to Jesus or believing in him is a moral issue. It's a moral issue. Uh, It's not an intellectual issue. So don't be intimidated by anybody. No matter how they're highbrowing you, they don't understand things. They haven't experienced the Spirit of God transforming their lives. They haven't experienced understanding Scripture the way you know you understand Scripture now versus the way you understood it before you are a believer. So don't be intimidated. An unbeliever, you're the one with the knowledge. You know, it's 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 like a five year old coming up to you and stating some fact. It's like, okay, (laughs) you know, they know very little, very little. So um, it's a it's a moral issue, not an intellectual one, because of morality or because of morally deficient lives. People don't come to Jesus out of fear that their deeds will be exposed and rightly condemned. So realize that about unbelievers. They haven't come to Jesus because they're fearing. They don't know the gospel yet. They don't have any out. They just know they're bearing their own sins and that they don't do well if light gets shined upon them or shown upon them. So the response of Jesus next, the response of Jesus, yourself, and all Christians to unbelievers' disbelief is not therefore condemnation upon them for not believing, but rather Our response, Jesus' response, all Christians' response to unbelievers' disbelief is compassion. Compassion and seeking their salvation. Compassion and seeking their salvation. Let's pray.